My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode, drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, this is Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to another episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this 17th episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I think many, many Christians and non-Christians alike can resonate with. The topic for today is trauma, which most people will inevitably and unfortunately experience in a fallen, broken world. Tragically, trauma can have far-reaching implications, impacting individual, relational, and many other types of functioning. For contemporary Christians, trauma can even impact our relationship with God. So to begin, I think a few questions are important to consider for 21st century Christ followers. To begin, what is trauma? How common is trauma? What are the types of trauma that people experience in contemporary society? What are some of the symptoms associated with trauma and traumatic experiences? What role does rumination play in response to trauma-related symptoms? What does trauma... I'm sorry, when does trauma become a diagnosable clinical issue? And when is professional treatment from a licensed counselor or therapist required? What is post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD? And how does it relate to trauma? How does trauma impact psychological, relational, and spiritual functioning? A few more questions. What are some of the helpful ways that the secular clinical psychology literature suggests we respond to trauma? From a Christian perspective, how can 21st century Christ followers respond to trauma and trauma-related symptoms, doing so within the context of a biblical worldview? And then lastly, how can Christians deepen our relationship with God in order to endure with faith and hope as trauma survivors, especially when post-trauma symptoms do not go away. So to offer a few opening quotes to sort of get us started or warmed up, in the best-selling book, The Body Keeps the Score, 
brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. The psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk states, quote, being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. He goes on to state, quote, We have learned that trauma is not just an event that took place sometime in the past. It is also the imprint left by that experience on mind, brain, and body. This imprint has ongoing consequences for how the human organism manages to survive in the present. Trauma results in a fundamental reorganization of the way mind and brain manage perceptions. It changes not only how we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. End quote. Writing decades prior in Civilization and Its Dis- Discontents, the famous psychiatrist Sigmund Freud said, quote, We are threatened with suffering from three directions. From our body, which is doomed to decay. From the external world, which may rage against us with overwhelming and merciless force of destruction. And finally, from our relations with other people. This lasting source is perhaps more painful to us than any other End quote. So in other words, relational trauma can be especially devastating since we need others for survival and depending on them is a quote-unquote double-edged sword. Given the very same people we need to safely rely on can also cause us so much pain and trauma. From a biblical perspective, In the third chapter of Genesis, we read of the consequences of the fall of humankind, with words like pain to describe Adam and Eve's future reality. From my perspective, there there have been no greater, or I should say there may have been no greater biblical trauma other than Jesus' crucifixion than being banished from the garden, which included perfect intimacy with God, the Creator and sustainer of all. So we can only imagine how traumatic it must have been for Adam and Eve to be banished from the garden, a place of security, safety, maybe even predictability, walking with God, communing with God, to be banished. Therefore, whether secular or Christian, writings throughout history have acknowledged the pain of life an inevitable trauma that comes from being human. And yet, in God's Word, the Bible, we also read passages over and over again that suggest God is with us and His love will sustain us in a fallen, broken world which is inevitably filled with traumatic events. In God's Word, the Bible, we read passages like the one in Isaiah 41.10, quote, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or Psalm 34.4, quote, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Psalm 145, 18 and 19 says, quote, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. 
He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Or we read in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 24, quote, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In agreement, the American pastor Tim Keller, in his book Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, states, quote, Suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire. Keller goes on to say, quote, Christianity teaches that, contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming, contra Buddhism, suffering is real, contra, uh, contra karma, suffering is not is often uh, unfair, but contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. End quote. To keep this biblical reality in mind, in Colossians, Paul instructs believers to, quote, set our hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set our minds on things above, not earthly things, end quote. So, despite the reality that we live in a fallen, broken world, filled with traumatic events, and, as a result, post-traumatic stress, and other post-trauma symptoms, Scripture reveals that God is with us and refining us, even when we experience the inevitable trauma of daily life. And we are to pivot from earthly things to things above, which will be the focus for this episode of The Christian Psychologist. So ultimately, as we get started for contemporary Christians, I think the secular psychology literature can certainly help us to understand the psychological experience and impact of traumatic events, including the many enduring symptoms that can be impair functioning and some of the ways that we can effectively respond to trauma and post-trauma symptoms, symptoms after the traumatic event. But I believe a biblical worldview revealed via scripture can allow Christian trauma survivors to more confidently endure knowing we have a trustworthy traveling companion who provides meaning to life, even suffering, given the ultimate act of trauma and suffering had purpose as Jesus died on a cross to reconcile those who believe in him to God. So our faith reveals over and over again through scripture that even though we live in a fallen world filled with suffering, suffering can have purpose, can be refining and redemptive, and God is with us to walk through, not around, the suffering that's inevitable in life. So to, to offer a quick personal story here in my own clinical work, as a licensed psychologist, I've worked with a wide variety of trauma sufferers over the years. Whether related to physical or sexual abuse, life-threatening situations, or many other events, 
a good number of the people I've worked with in therapy have had a history of trauma. This trauma, of course, can be especially enduring with symptoms that continue to persist years, even decades after the initial traumatic event. Over the last decade and a half, I've heard story after story of the influence that trauma has had on both Christians and non-Christians alike to the point that it can almost permanently shatter the sense of safety and security and faith that we have in the predictability and certainty of this world. The vivid, intrusive memories and images of a traumatic event can be especially distressing for trauma survivors. Given we want so desperately to move on, but often feel powerless to do so. With this overwhelming, unwanted inner experience, the the vivid memories and images, we may feel like there's nowhere to hide given such memories can emerge spontaneously at any point in time, even well after the event has concluded. For me personally, I've experienced several traumatic events in the four and a half decades I've lived on this planet with vivid, overwhelming memories that continue to, at times, invade my mind, even in the year 2022. In fact, with the past relational trauma I've endured, I can still remember with vivid details the very specific events, along with the emotional and physical experiences that accompany the trauma. Sort of like uh, I get into a time machine and can at any point in time go back to these exact days, exact times to re-experience them all over again like they're happening for the first time. There's a deeper physical experience of trauma that we simply can't shake. To offer a real quick example of how powerful trauma can be, even when merely witnessing something happening, not actually going through it ourselves. I can remember about a decade ago casually turning left at an intersection in my car as I drove to pick up a toy for my daughter at a local toy store. As the left arrow turned green, I headed left through a major intersection onto a new street and quickly discovered that a serious car accident with uh, tragically a fatality had just happened about 30 seconds prior. Someone apparently lost control of their car and ran into, uh, at full speed, several people waiting at a bus stop. As I rounded the corner in my car, I saw a crashed car with fire and smoke, along with several people lying on the ground. Even right now, about a decade later, I can still see in my mind vividly several injured people laying there motionless, with smoke coming from the car, a decimated shopping center sign, and people frantically running around with their cell phones, yelling and trying to get the victim's help. In the days that followed, I had intrusive, vivid memories of the event, seeing gory details in my mind that I'll spare you of in today's podcast. These images, of course, caused me a significant amount of distress, even though I only witnessed the event. And in response to these unwanted images, I can remember also ruminating in an attempt to get rid of the images themselves and the 
emotional distress that accompanied them. I can remember asking questions like, why or what if? Why did someone have to die waiting at a bus stop? What if something like this happens to me as a husband and father or my family? What if we're simply waiting for someone to pick us up on the side of the road and this happens to us? And in attempting to ask these questions and attempting to ruminate, really I was trying to get rid of the intrusive memories and unpleasant emotions by sorting it all out with a cognitive strategy of questioning, of going over and over the material. But I can remember that the images did not simply go away, and I continue to feel afraid and anxious for a period of time. So in this episode, I really want to talk about some of the newer secular theories and research on trauma, including the symptoms that can result from a traumatic event, the development of these post-trauma symptoms, and some of the interventions for responding to trauma-related symptoms. I also want to explore a Christian view of the topic, including what the Bible says about suffering and living in a fallen and broken world, along with, and this is key, God's promises in Scripture which is, from a Christian perspective, God's Word, the Bible, God's special revelation to humankind, God's promises to, in response to human suffering. So what has God revealed to us as human beings, as, as Christ followers, about his relationship with us? Then I'd like to explore classic Christian spiritual writings on the topic, including some of the original research that I've done on a Christian intervention for trauma-based rumination. So spent some time with colleagues developing some intervention work and testing this out so that Christians have specific types of interventions as they struggle with post-trauma symptoms. And to conclude, I'd like to offer a 10-minute practice to help with trauma-related rumination for Christian trauma survivors. So in doing so, I think a theme that will permeate this episode is that trauma-based rumination is often used ineffectively as a way to try to avoid trauma-based intrusive memories and the emotional distress that comes from these memories and images. So although we want to ask why and what if questions, why did this happen? What if it happens again? These kinds of questions. We want to ask them to get rid of the trauma-based memories and emotions, we unfortunately end up spinning our wheels, so to speak, like a car spinning our wheels in the snow, not actually heading in a meaningful, meaningful direction and just keeping us stuck. So the question is, how can we, as 21st century Christ followers, learn when our rumination that is used to respond to trauma-related intrusive memories and emotional distress How can we learn when our rumination is unproductive? Then how can we learn to gently pivot towards Scripture, including God's promises, so we can remind ourselves of God's loving presence on this side of heaven? Before moving on, though, to the secular clinical psychology literature, I want to just mention to to stress that in no way should this episode be a substitute for professional mental health services. So if you need professional help 
especially if your daily functioning is impaired or you believe you have a PTSD diagnosis, please find a therapist with one of the website directories I have listed in the podcast description section of the American Psychologist. Or if this is an emergency, please call 911 or go to a local emergency room. So as we get started here with the secular clinical psychology literature, I think we've gained some really good insight into trauma-related experiences, symptoms associated with those experiences, and when it reaches a clinical level in the form of a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. So in terms of the prevalence of trauma, because we live in an imperfect and, and often broken world, all humans are ultimately vulnerable to experiencing a range of potentially traumatic events. Things like car accidents, natural disasters, physical and sexual abuse, assaults, death of a friend or family member. Often these kinds of events threaten our physical safety. In a recent survey, we found that over three out of four American adults have experienced a traumatic event. Really, trauma is inevitable with the ultimate traumatic event being that we will not live forever in this body with this heart beating heart with our brain activity. In terms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which I'll talk about in a minute, over the course of a lifetime, uh, in response to a traumatic event, just under 10% of adults will likely go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, also called PTSD, which is a DSM-5-TR diagnosis and consists of four major categories of symptoms. So not everybody goes on to develop a formal clinical diagnosis from the DSM, which is basically what mental health professionals use to diagnose mental disorders. So what are the major symptoms and ingredients of PTSD according to the DSM-5-TR, which is the newest edition of the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manuals, Manual of Mental Disorders? So for a formal diagnosis of PTSD, trauma survivors must experience certain types of events along with certain types of symptoms over at least a six-month period of time, along with impaired functioning in work, social, or other major areas of life. So in terms of the event, uh, the DSM states that individuals may have directly experienced, witnessed, or been indirectly exposed through someone else describing vivid details of a traumatic event. And these events may include exposure to, quote, actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence, end quote, which can include witnessing the event, directly experiencing the event, hearing about the event taking place when it comes to a family member, friend, etc., or hearing about the event occurring from others, what we might call vicarious trauma. So someone maybe who's a first responder, uh, you know, is a medic, and they're constantly coming onto scenes where they are seeing the event themselves, or maybe they are a therapist who works with a lot of trauma survivors and hears about trauma from the trauma survivors. So among the symptoms, there are four major categories, including uh, intrusive symptoms such as vivid memories, nightmares, or flashbacks. The second category would be uh, really avoidance of trauma-related reminders in the outer world 
or thoughts or feelings in the inner world. The third category is distressing thoughts or feelings, such as impaired memory, negative thoughts about oneself or the world, blaming oneself, a loss of interest in things maybe we used to find enjoyable, or negative emotions, or trouble experiencing positive emotions. And the last category would be what we might call arousal or reactivity. So we might be irritable, hypervigilant, meaning on guard, uh, jumpy, kind of easily startled, always looking over our shoulder because we maybe are anticipating it might happen again. So these four types of symptoms, again, intrusive, unwanted memories and flashbacks, avoidance, negative, distressing thoughts and feelings, and hyperarousal, can be especially overwhelming to the point of getting in the way of daily life, or we might call impairing daily functioning. Also, there are other types of clinical and then maybe subclinical, not reaching a a clinical level, post-trauma symptoms that we have researched in the secular clinical psychology literature over maybe the last decade or two including trauma-based rumination, which I'll be focusing on for the rest of the podcast. So, theoretically, many trauma survivors will struggle with intrusive memories about the event, vivid intrusive memories, and then engage in rumination to try to avoid the symptoms they are experiencing. So, in the context of trauma, Rumination involves repeatedly thinking about, or we might say perseverating on, getting stuck on, thinking about the past event, then really using or employing a distinctly cognitive strategy, so using our thoughts to avoid the emotional distress that accompanies the intrusive memory. So rumination may involve thought content linked to the trauma itself, about the event itself, about details about the event, or for Christians, God's perceived role or availability or even absence in the event. So we end up overly thinking about, dwelling on, ruminating on the event in response to the intrusive memory that just feels so real and the accompanying emotional distress. And when we think about rumination, we can often ask really unanswerable questions. Why and what if questions such as, why did this happen to me? What if it happens again? And this happens to the point that maybe we run out of answers and we end up questioning in an unproductive way, which distracts us and may actually increase the frequency of the intrusive memories and then the accompanying emotional distress, like fear, like shame. So what are some types of trauma-related rumination, some themes, according to the uh, secular clinical psychology literature? Well, we might think about the ways in which life might have gone differently if the event had not occurred. We might think about the ways in which the event might have been avoided what we could have done differently. Maybe we blame ourselves or or blame other people other than maybe the perpetrator or including the perpetrator. We might think about why the event actually occurred. So those why questions. We might think about a similar event happening in the future. What if it happens again? For Christians, we might think about being 
but somehow betrayed by God, abandoned by God, neglected by God. So again, rumination is used as a way to avoid, but it may actually be ineffective in that it increases the frequency, intensity of the intrusive, vivid, life, lifelike memories and the distressing emotions that accompany them. So it's ultimately, it can be unproductive, unhelpful, and ineffective as a form of coping. But we end up getting stuck there. So in recent years, in response to this idea that rumination is often unhelpful and can keep us stuck and actually increase the frequency and intensity of the emotions and memories that come from the traumatic event, mindfulness has been advocated for, proposed, as an intervention strategy to help with rumination across many diagnoses with the mindful qualities of attention, present moment awareness, and acceptance, helping those who practice mindfulness to gently pivot or turn from rumination to other forms of awareness. So, for example, with mindfulness of breathing, we might first notice the intrusive memory and our tendency to ruminate as a form of cognitive avoidance. We might notice that we're getting stuck asking why and what-if questions that are unanswerable. Then we may, through mindfulness practice, accept these experiences with non-judgment in the here and now before gently turning to, pivoting toward a present-focused, sustained awareness of our breathing. So we might say, there I go, asking what if and why questions again. I'm going to notice that and then gently, compassionately, non-judgmentally turn to just focusing on my breathing, just staying present in the present moment with my breathing. And in doing so, I think we're learning to accept, not avoid, whatever experiences emerge in the inner world before gently turning toward another experience in the present moment to focus our attention on this other experience, not spinning our wheels in the snow again, getting stuck and unable to press on in life. Interestingly, in a recent study I conducted with several colleagues among a community sample of Christian adults who experienced one or more traumatic event, we actually found result-wise that the mindful qualities of attention, present moment awareness, and acceptance may play a key role in helping Christians shift from unproductive, ruminative thinking to focusing on God when experiencing intrusive trauma-related memories. So although these mindful skills are often thought of as coming from Buddhism, they can possibly help Christian trauma survivors shift from trauma-based rumination to another point of focus, which for Christians is maybe less likely to be the breath and more likely to be God. And God's promises, God's word, the Bible, God's attributes, God's actions, these kinds of verses in the Bible can help Christians to pivot from trauma-based rumination to essentially ruminating on God. In fact, in a separate four-week study to assess Christian meditative practices for this very purpose, to shift from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God, 
Myself and some colleagues found that the Christians who engaged in Christian meditation to focus their attention on God in the present moment with loving acceptance, these Christians experienced a reduction in trauma-based rumination and other trauma-related or post-trauma symptoms. So we've found some research support for the idea that noticing the rumination and then gently shifting towards meditating on scripture can have a positive impact on the very symptoms that can keep Christian trauma survivors stuck. So really to summarize these findings, for Christians, we live in a fallen, broken world, which means that, unfortunately, most Christians will experience one or more traumatic events in our lifetime. And in response, we may end up experiencing intrusive memories, then try to use rumination as an unhelpful cognitive avoidance strategy to avoid the emotional distress that accompanies these vivid, intrusive, distressing memories. In this process, we may ask why and what if questions, but we can end up getting stuck, struggling to get rid of both the memories and emotional distress that come from the traumatic event. So really what I'm saying here is what we choose to ruminate on is key. So we can, through Christian meditative practices, shift from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God, which can help us to better manage trauma symptoms and cultivate a deeper communion with God, a deeper intimacy with God that's, that's trusting, that's loving, that feels safe in the process. So before turning to classic Christian spiritual writings on the topic and a 10-minute meditative practice to help us gently pivot from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God, I'd like to offer a quick introduction to the topic of suffering more broadly within the Christian tradition and, and a biblical worldview, which includes trauma more narrowly. So because we live in a fallen, broken world, Again, unfortunately, tragically, not something we want, trauma-related experiences and the symptoms that accompany it are inevitable for contemporary Christians. Again, these experiences may involve witnessing death, hearing someone else recount an experience of witnessing death, near-death experiences ourselves, and other types of extreme violence, physical, sexual, other kinds of of scary, overwhelming experiences that threaten our safety to our core. Although the Bible is filled with examples of human suffering, page by page, God has actually given us a bigger picture perspective of the past, present, and future to offer us hope. So we were created in God's image to be in relationship with him and others, to place him or to to acknowledge his presence at the center of existence. We turned from that. We were banished from the garden. We were banished from the safety and security that comes from a safe, abiding presence. So with the fall comes suffering, comes trauma, comes sin, comes rebelliousness, comes the, the fact that we will sin as Christians and other people will sin against us as Christians and that Christians will 
not ultimately be physically safe, but will endure hardship and suffering. But we have redemption in the form of Jesus Christ, and we can walk with him confidently to our final destination, to be face-to-face with God in heaven, for, for God to ultimately restore a fallen, broken world. And included in God's special revelation to us, we have a variety of promises that God has offered us that we may be neglected at times to recognize when we are dealing with trauma symptoms. So we can actually, as Christians, be more purposeful about what we focus, or we might say this in a positive way, ruminate on. So if rumination is really uh, like that cow chewing cud in a field all day long, just chewing on, meditating on, pondering on something within the mind, it can be unproductive rumination or productive rumination. I would say unproductive rumination can be when we ask why and what if questions and it doesn't lead anywhere to growth or to, to perseverance, but instead keeps us stuck versus productive rumination, maybe chewing on, meditating on, pondering God's promises so that they are internalized and we can pivot toward them. God has, according to his promises, given us this balcony view of the world to understand how things end with hope and has by no means left us alone to suffer but instead offered his son as the suffering servant. And because of this, Jesus empathizes with our weaknesses, according to Hebrews, and we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So what we choose to ruminate on is foundational to optimal Christian living and optimal psychological and spiritual health. As we look at the Bible, In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he tells us we should focus on what is, quote, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, this doesn't mean we don't need to process deeper emotional pain and face the reality of suffering, which includes trauma, but it does mean knowing when we are being unproductive in our rumination and with compassion acknowledging our struggle and our stuckness and being able to gently and lovingly pivot towards God's promises, that God will be with us in the midst of our suffering. So taking this understanding one step further, we can decide what to ruminate on throughout the day. And we have all kinds of promises from God in Scripture, which can help us as trauma survivors pivot from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God, doing so with Christian mindful qualities that are actually found in our own tradition. We don't need to turn to the Buddhist tradition, but as Christians, as Christ followers, we have our own religious heritage we can confidently draw from to cultivate attention on God, present moment awareness of God, and acceptance of at times are suffering because God is with us and God knows about suffering through the incarnation all the way to the atonement. So these mental skills, these mindful qualities can be developed through practicing Christian meditation, which we'll focus on 
for the remainder of this episode. Before we move into the 10-minute practice, I want to just mention that in terms of Christian classic spiritual writings, the Puritans referred to this type of transcendent thinking as heavenly-mindedness and contrasted it with earthly-mindedness and pointed to the idea that Christian meditation can serve as a vehicle through which heavenly-mindedness can be cultivated. So really what we're talking about is can we pivot from earthly-mindedness to heavenly-mindedness in response to trauma-related intrusive memories and emotional distress and then the ineffective coping strategy of trauma-based rumination. So according to the Puritans, quote, a promise is a word that reaches into the future, creating a bond of obligation on the part of the one who gives it and of expectation on the part of the one who receives it. So as we meditate on God's promises in Scripture in response to trauma-based rumination, we are recognizing that there's a bond here, that God has promised us a wide variety of things in Scripture which creates a bond of obligation. And God will see his promises come to fruition. So to trust in that is key. So in considering God's promises, uh, the main ingredients consist of an enduring relationship along with distinct roles and responsibilities on the part of both God and his followers. So in The Wells of Salvation Opened, the Puritan author William Spurstow defined God's promises as, quote, a declaration of God's will in which he signifies what particular good things he will freely bestow and the evils that he will remove. How can we as Christ followers, filled with intrusive memories in the mind, unhelpful, unproductive coping strategies like rumination, how can we fill our minds with a trusting, meditative, attempt to really hold on to God's promises. So God's promises are, quote, a kind of middle thing between his purpose and performance, his intendment of good and the execution of it on those he loves. So to hold on to, to chew on, to cherish, to savor, to trust in God's promises is a bridge between God's purpose and his actual performance in carrying out that purpose. As we wait for God to act, we are chewing on, meditating on, ruminating on God's promises, intentionally pivoting from, gently pivoting from, compassionately pivoting from trauma-based rumination. Although it makes sense that we do it, we live in a fallen and broken world and sometimes feel like we're on our own, we're actually not. And we need to remind ourselves that we're not alone And we have a God who is faithful and who will carry us through. So as Christians then, our role is to cultivate a deeper trust in God's promises, especially in the context of a fallen, broken world and traumatic events that come from the fall. Given God has already established them in the Bible. God's established his promises. They're there for us to meditate on, to ruminate on, and to trust in as God fulfills his plan. 
So when discussing the different types of God's promises in The Promises of God, the Puritan author Nicholas Byfield noted several centuries ago that many scriptural promises point to the soothing, loving comfort that God provides for Christians. Quote, They may contain comforts, that is, places of scripture which foretell what goodness the Lord will show to his people in affliction. For here belong all those promises which are given of purpose for the comforting and supporting of the godly in all their trials, including, this is my words here, trauma. Let me say that again. What are the What's the purpose of God's promises? To comfort and support the godly in all their trials. As Christians, we can cling to, tightly hold on to, God's promises to comfort us and support us in the midst of our trials, including the inevitable traumatic events that come from living in a fallen, broken world as we look to the horizon and God's eventual restoration. And in the midst of us holding on to the hope, we have a trustworthy traveling companion to soothe and comfort us. So what are some of the key passages in Scripture that reveal God's promises which Christian trauma survivors can pivot to when we experience trauma-related rumination in response to intrusive memories of prior traumatic events. We have Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, quote, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In Deuteronomy 31.6 and Hebrews 13.5, we read, quote, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In Isaiah 43.5, we read, quote, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And in James 4.8, we read, quote, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So this is just a quick snapshot of the many, many promises that God offers in his word, the Bible, that he will faithfully carry out and that we can ruminate on in the midst of trauma-based symptoms. Just to reiterate, in, in the research that I conducted with several colleagues, we did find that Christian trauma survivors who meditated on God's promises as a way to shift from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God during moments of intrusive trauma-based memories they reported a reduction in trauma-based rumination and other post-trauma symptoms over a four-week period of time. So to summarize, trauma is inevitable in life with rumination ineffectively used as a cognitive strategy to avoid the emotional distress that accompanies intrusive, unwanted, trauma-related memories. Unfortunately, ruminating on the event by asking why and what if questions about the event itself or, for Christians, God's availability or absence in the context of the event, this may actually increase the very intrusive memories and emotional distress we're trying to get rid of. Yet, the application of mindful skills or mindful qualities 
including attention, present moment awareness, and non-judgmental acceptance, have been proposed as a strategy for helping people who ruminate to shift towards another avenue of awareness, such as connecting to the physical sensations of the breath, also called mindfulness of breathing. For Christians, we can use Christian meditation to cultivate these three qualities, given that we have them in our own tradition. They're not just exclusive to the Buddhist tradition. And we can gently and lovingly pivot from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God, which we'll practice next. In fact, in The Wells of Salvation Opened, the Puritan author William Spurstow, writing several centuries ago, stated, quote, One promise thoroughly ruminated and meditated on is likened to a morsel of meat well chewed and digested, which distributes more nourishment and strength to the body than great quantities taken down whole. As we chew on, meditate on, ruminate on, ponder God's promises, this is healthy for us, helpful for us psychologically and spiritually as Christians. So with the above understanding in mind, I'd like us to now shift toward a roughly 10-minute practice to develop these mindful qualities and turn our attention from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God's promises in Scripture. So for the next few minutes, you'll be focusing on the Bible verse, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, from Deuteronomy 31.6 and Hebrews 13.5. So to start, say a short prayer to God, asking him for guidance during the next 10 minutes. Now, Simply notice any trauma-related or based memories, emotional distress, and or rumination, doing so with non-judgmental awareness in the here and now. In other words, there's nothing you need to do with it right now in this moment given God is with you and has promised that he will never leave you. So just notice if you're experiencing any trauma-related memories, any trauma-related emotional distress, or any trauma-related rumination, doing so without judgment, doing so with acceptance, given God is with you and will never leave you or forsake you.
as the next step. Shift your focus from earthly-mindedness to heavenly-mindedness. Letting go of the need to continue on with the trauma-based rumination and ever so gently pivoting towards the never-will-I-leave-you Bible verse. Now, slowly, gently, and interiorly, or in the mind, repeat this promise in Scripture with focused, sustained attention in the present moment. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Again and again, gently, slowly, in an unhurried manner, within the mind, repeating, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Again and again, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And when your mind inevitably wanders to something other than the verse, especially a preoccupation with the trauma-based memory, emotional distress, or rumination, Simply offer yourself grace, the way that God is extending grace to you right now, by non-judgmentally and compassionately refocusing your attention on God's promise. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Over and over again, slowly, gently, in a grace-filled manner. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Again and again. Now, begin to move from your head to your heart, focusing on how your heart feels as you consider that God will never leave you or give up on you. Really try to sink into this reality, this deeper emotional reality, allowing yourself to deeply feel God's loving presence and trusting that he is with you right now 
in the midst of whatever emerges in the inner or outer world. Especially trauma-based memories, emotional distress, or rumination. Because God is with you right here, right now, because God has promised that he will never leave you and never forsake you, you can rest in that reality and let go of the need to spin your wheels with rumination in response to the intrusive memory and emotional distress. Over and over again, sink into the reality that God will never leave you, God will never forsake you, and is with you right here, right now, to soothe and comfort you from the inside out. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Experiencing the deeper peace and trust that comes from truly believing in this promise that comes from God's Word, the Bible. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And as you begin to wrap up this meditation, make a commitment to act on on this deeper awareness of God's promise in a Christ-like manner. Practicing God's presence as you walk with him throughout the day and gently pivot from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And as you conclude, say a short prayer to God, thanking him for this promise he has given to you. And when you're ready, you can Open your eyes again and reorient yourself to your surroundings. So to conclude this episode, we've discussed the reality of trauma in a fallen world, doing so by drawing on some of the newer insights from secular clinical psychology, along with the millennia-old wisdom and transcendent perspective that the Christian faith tradition has to offer. So my hope is that you'll continue to, as a 21st century Christ follower, gently pivot from trauma-based rumination to ruminating on God, resting in his promises as you move from being justified or reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ, to sanctified or being more like Jesus Christ, to glorified or being face-to-face with God in heaven. Although suffering is inevitable because of the fall, which unfortunately includes traumatic events. As Christians, we believe that we've been redeemed and are walking with God to our final destination, which will be free from traumatic events in perfect community with him and others in heaven. Please continue to join me for The Christian Psychologist as we look ahead to the next episode for next week. Thanks for listening.